0: Welcome to FieldLink, I'm your host, Bill Smith. In this episode, we're going to review 2023. What impacted the grain markets for your profitability on your farm? Plus, Jody Lawrence from Nashville is going to join us and discuss the three secrets for marketing your crop in 2024. Stay tuned for this special episode of FieldLink. This episode of the FieldLink podcast is brought to you by ResGenics. If you're looking for a water management tool to help you maximize the efficiency of your crops, check out ResGenics. And remember, be sure to vote for ResGenics as the 2023 New Product of the Year from The Daily Scoop. Go to thedailyscoop.com slash new products to vote for Resgenix as the New Product of the Year. And welcome back to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. We're going to deep dive today in our year-end series here with Jody Lawrence. He's in the studio here in Memphis, and we're going to talk about how things worked out in 2023 from a market perspective. We got a whole lot of turf to cover here today, Jody, and then we're going to pause and take a look at 2024. What's the outlook look like? So with that, Jody?
1: Well, Bill, it's Good to be here face to face and be in the studio. It's been a long time. And last time I was down here, it was under construction. So it's uh, good to be here doing it live like this.
0: We've come a long way here in the studio. We just completed our 50th episode and you're number 51 as we launch that uh, here a few weeks here for our end of the season 2023 episode. Jody, let's step back in time. You know, a lot's happened in 2023. We've had a lot of things take place You know, in the grain markets for sure. But, you know, also in the geopolitical area, we've dealt a lot with logistics and weather and just a whole lot of stuff happened in 23.
1: Yeah. 2023, I think when we look back, we look at the final yields. We had a nearly 174 corn yield, which by any standard, if you look back over the last 10, 20 years is an exceptional yield. We did have a total record for record or total record total yield because of the increase in acres to 93 million acres. But if you look back and over the inconsistency of the weather from the beginning of the season across you know, Eastern, Central, Western Corn Belt, all the way through harvest into September, that one seventy four number is really impressive because it shows that the farmers are doing a lot of things yeah. right. They've got fantastic products to do it, and all the education and the and and their commitment and stewardship to the ground. When you look at what they're able to pull out and what were really some trying times in a lot of areas that we have gone to, uh, it you know it it's. Very validating of all the hard work everybody puts in.
0: I think you bring up a great point. You know, if you were to replicate this growing season 10, 15, 25 years ago, I doubt if we have the same kind of
1: output. It, exactly. When you, I think uh, trendline yield for corn started this year at 181, which was a new record, and every year will be a new record for uh, expectation from here on out. But to think about 181 that only you know 6 or 7 bushels were lost nationally and when you do start edging up like we did this year to planting 93 and just a few Uh, 100,000 acres, over 93 million acres, you're not adding the most productive farm ground on there. It's not the core 85 million of the high yield that we think about every year. So when you start getting into some of that fringe ground, to be able to keep that number up there is really, really impressive. And same thing on beans, although the bean acres did switch in normal rotation. Bean acres were cut by about 3 million and they went over to corn. But uh, beans coming in at 50 uh it pro- it probably on a scale not quite as impressive as what happened in corn on that final yield but still really really good because uh you know any time you have uh, bean yield in the United States uh pushing 50 bushels an acre that's almost you know uh garden eden type stuff where right. you need perfect weather long growing seasons and a lack of heat in that key uh, you know august time period
0: Well, Jody, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Well, right now, uh, as we're kind of wrapping things up here in '23, what's corn looking like across the U.S.?
1: Well, we're looking at March corn trading right around 480 on futures, and talking to several growers from. Ohio to Nebraska today while we were driving down and, you know, Michigan to Mississippi. Basis is really all over the board. We've talked to some people where it's particularly good. Their yields may be a little bit lower than some of the central Illinois, where the central Illinois growers that I've spoken to were all at or made new per acre records on farm, mm-hmm. which is great to see. So you know where there's a glut of corn in some places, the basis is be a little bit weaker. Right. But where there's some thin spots, the basis will be a little bit better. But you also have uh, ethanol with uh, corn being down at this price, and even with crude oil having dropped back and trading mm-hmm. kind of violently in this 68 to $75 range. Ethanol production is still very... Uh, profitable for all of those guys and all those plants and they are buying the corn and grinding it and getting it out there. While we have a seasonal slowdown uh, we always do this time of year. You're still looking at, that the U.S. is going to use well over five billion bushels of corn just for ethanol production.
0: Well, and and talking about ethanol and really biofuels as a whole, some recent legislation uh, turned things around and uh, a lot of support for the from from the aeronautical side of the business.
1: Absolutely, and that came out last week. And it's funny how. If you're a day late on your taxes, you get uh, whacked with a fine, but the Department of Energy and the USDA can send stuff out six, seven months late, and nobody says a word except thank you. And they came out last week that they're going to extend the tax credits and for both the biodiesel aviation fuel and also in the ethanol industry. So the biofuel demand on from the ag sector looks like it's going to continue to be great. And and that's not something that we look at and say, oh, gosh, well, what happens in the election cycle in 2024? That looks to be something that's not going to be a real hot spot for one party or the other that right. it will continue to have support from both sides of the aisle moving forward,
0: yeah, the ethanol industry, the biofuel energy energy sector certainly got a big win in that announcement and and really hopefully it'll establish a little more stability for biofuels here across the u s moving forward let's talk about soybeans, Jody, what are soybeans looking like
1: uh, the soybean crop like I said came in just yield came in just under 50 bushels an acre. I think it's 49.8. Mm-hmm. But the stocks I- increased some, but not to the extent that corn did because corn stocks are now over 2.1 billion bushels. And right. that's the largest uh, since 2018. And when we get on the bean side, you don't want to skew the U.S. number too much and go, gosh, it's really bullish or it's really bearish, because you have to remember where we are in the world picture of this. Right. We're going to produce a crop every year a little bit over 4 billion bushels. Brazil this year is going to, they even though they're under some stress, their acreage increases. They're going to produce a 6 billion bushel crop. That's just... Brazil. Mm-hmm. So they produce us by 150%. So while it figures into the world price, it's also not nearly as important as what the U.S. does on the corn side. So even though our crop was a little bit smaller, we didn't see a massive rally because sure. South, because Brazil in particular, bean crop. Last year, the 22-23 crop was uh, another record and was so huge.
0: Right. And and we're starting to see, you know, their neighbor in Brazil, Argentina, looking like their crop is shaping up pretty solid. They're certainly one of the global leaders in soybean production as well.
1: Absolutely. They are the world's largest exporter of bean meal which means they are the world's largest crusher of beans right. and last year when well really the last two years 20 uh, 2021 and 2122 they were stuck in what we always describe from a US perspective as a 2012 type dr- drought situation mm-hmm. and when their crop is in much better shape this year, but that deficit was made up for by imports from Brazil and also some extra demand from the U.S. But uh, Argentina is a key player in this simply because they're the processor of uh, a huge portion that goes out to the rest of the world of South America's beans.
0: Yeah, and those beans being crushed like that, you know, the the global demand for, as you mentioned, soy meal is certainly very global right now and China's looking for that. Are they supporting shipping a lot of that product to China? Yes, they
1: are because their hog herd is back up above ASF levels and I guess ASF you get you get all your world uh, calamities uh, dates mixed up sure. but that was what 2018 2019. so it was pre-covid okay. when they lost what 25 30% of their hog herd yeah. and they have rebuilt it plus so we know that they have the internal demand for uh their red meat industry, their their uh pork production in particular, that they continue to buy it from all over the world. But one one really interesting thing that you don't Ever think about is that they're having low water issues in the Panama Canal right now? Mm-hmm. When we think of a canal connecting two oceans of unlimited water, how could they be running short of water and right. having you know seeing what we've seen Mississippi River the last two dry summers, where you start having to have you know less uh, barge freight that can be moved and and restrictions on how much you can put on a barge? So it it that's interesting, and that's why we've seen a surge over really just the last three weeks of China buying beans, wheat, other products, ag products from the US because it's cheaper now to ship it out of the Pacific Northwest even though our prices are higher relative to Brazil and Argentina's cash price than it is the logistics and freight cost to get it on a smaller barge and all the delays of it going either around the southern tip of South America or through the Panama Canal. So it's something I, I, in my lifetime, I never can remember this ever being an issue. And uh,
0: that, I think it's important to remember that the canal was built for that reason, yeah. to, to make things a little easier, <laughs> shipping east to west for sure. And, and, you know, when we talk about freight and logistics, you mentioned the Mississippi River, it's still pretty darn dry out there. I was down there uh, this week. I just crossed it this morning, actually, and I'm seeing a lot of sand out there. Still uh, some barge moving up and down, but nothing like normal.
1: No, we the U.S. for several different reasons. When you talk about the Western Corn Belt and you get up in the Great Plains, the Dakotas, they need to make up for the past two or three really, really dry winters. Sure. They've had timely rains that have kept their production probably better than they honestly would have expected if you said, you know, this year, you're only going to receive a third of your normal rain for the whole 12 months. What's your crop going to look like? They got some really timely range, especially, uh, the groups that we're meeting with, uh, at the meeting tonight, uh, Eastern, uh, Nebraska, Western Iowa, Kansas, uh, Colorado. And if we can get just a normal amount of winter snowpack, and rain, certainly not flooding rain to where the Missouri refills and the upper Mississippi Valley begins to get the water levels back up. That'll that'll also help our competitiveness in the world market, which is one part of, you know, where we need our, domain, our our exports to go.
0: Yeah. Logistics is going to be a big theme here as we take a look at 24. We'll dive into 24 here in a little bit, but right now as we're wrapping 23 up, certainly a big deal as is all of the political, geopolitical issues. And, and one of them, uh, top of mind for everybody probably listening to this podcast, is is, is still the, the the mass destruction taking place of Israel and Hamas. How is that going to impact crude oil, Jody, as we take a look as we're wrapping up 23?
1: Well, that figures in. We'll, we'll just start with the general crude oil picture. When this first happened, when Hezbollah from Hamas invaded and captured all the people and that the raid Mm -hmm. when this started hezbollah is backed by iran iran's government and their religious factions and their oil money and crude shot up immediately thinking that somehow the u.s and the world were going to get involved in a conflict with iran that cooled off and then as the recession news came up you know around the world the uncertainty a month ago when this was happening it's changed quite a bit since then but uh, crude oil went you know back from the low 80s uh, down to $68 a barrel last week and what happened over the weekend and is unfortunately uh, more intense fighting and a much higher level of concern now sure. that all the hostage swaps have apparently been complete that they are going to get back into an active military uh, fight and now that hezbollah has had time to regroup that iran has come in and to fortify them so you don't know what's going behind the scenes i know the uh, joint chiefs of staff is over there currently and then over the weekend you had uh, several drone attacks on commercial uh, shipping lanes just yep. on the off the coast of Yemen and you start dealing with the Suez Canal when you head that way from I guess it's the Red Sea and the sea, Mediterranean right. you have a a real powder keg just right in of a, a very close proximity that unfortunately you've got you know allies of the United States involved in and you have sworn enemies of the United States uh involved in that the US at some point and that's why you see crude uh, having rallied $8 in the past four sessions, you know, that's a 15% move right. uh, it just, uh, just on concern that this is going to become a broader conflict and problem heading through the winter.
0: Uh, and and uh, reports this morning, you know, talked about uh, Marisk, uh, the the biggest shipping, uh, co- they're bailing. They're, they said no more shipping uh, in the Red Sea. I know there was a, a couple drone attacks on a couple commercial ships over the weekend. 13 drones shot down t- trying to attack a commercial ship. So today we're talking about energy and fuel, but it could... You know, trickle down to other products as well, chemistry and so forth, coming from some critical parts of the world that could certainly impact our overall trade moving forward into 24.
1: Absolutely. You look at uh, potash and end sources, and so much stuff comes out of the Middle East. And, you know, a year ago, we were talking that this problem. Would be more Ukrainian-Russian Black sure. Sea issue, yeah. and now we've completely moved it, and we're not even mentioning the Ukraine and Russia. So it's it, to think what's happened in the last twelve months. Right. And gosh, just the last six months is really it, it's really just hard to keep all the pieces in a moving puzzle, even close to sticking together.
0: The global scene is certainly quickly changing dynamic. You know, we talk about Russia right now. You know, you're, you're right. You know, we're, we're heading into about the third year here, but it's really not the, the Russian, Ukrainian. It hasn't impacted wheat exports, has it?
1: Not at all, because when it happened... It, you know wheat shot up to a new all-time high. It was uh, over $13 on the expectation mm-hmm. that Ukraine's ability to grow anything and then ultimately export it would be cut almost to nothing and that Russia because of these sanctions that were supposedly the worst ever implemented right. against a country that apparently have had absolutely no impact mm-hmm. on anything they've been able to do. The world wheat trade is shockingly similar to where it was before the invasion of what's coming out of Russia. In the middle of this, there's one hook that we're going to have to watch is that Russia had the largest wheat crop they'd ever had by a substantial amount, Mm -hmm. and nobody's ever quite sure whether it was some that they stole from Ukraine and claimed as part of theirs. What's reality? (laughs) Yeah, what's reality? So if we go back and you start to see firming world cash prices in wheat, And Ukraine, you know, still farming is a hard enough job as it is not and farming in an active war zone, probably even harder. Yes. And, but we did see some movement and this is not unusual going into the winter, but Russia has halted their wheat exports until May 1st because of some rising prices internally and some food inflation. Mm -hmm. And just to make sure that it's there when they need it.
0: They're just really trying to cover themselves here as we and that's that's a big deal if you think about it as we're doing this podcast here in late december holding up wheat exports till till may is that right
1: till may 1st was the last uh, thing they put out so you know yeah you're a solid 4 months away now from the world Sourcing wheat from everybody else, of course, you know, be, uh, whatever Argentina may have left, China's demand for the U.S. has spiked uh, considerably over the last sure. two to three weeks. And then Australia's Australia, crop,
0: yeah.
1: the southern hemisphere locations are really going to be the spots that uh, you see what happens and fills in the holes in this next four months.
0: Well, earlier on, we talked about the importance of Argentina taking a leadership role in soybeans. They also have a new leader. Uh, they have a new president that was elected this year, and he's taking a swing at some new export tax programs, Jody. Uh, tell us, how is that going to impact, I guess, little global trade? Uh, how the new president in Argentina is going to impact uh, growers in the U.S.
1: Yeah, that's it's interesting because... The expectation, they called it a 50 50 race, but apparently Malik won by a wide enough margin that it, it wasn't as close as the experts predicted. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in our own elections. Sure, so yeah. I'm not
0: sure. How you, you dangling, dangling shads here or there. Yeah. Okay.
1: But uh, his Argentina's real problem is they're a socialist country, they're constantly broke they had to take out i think it was a 40 billion dollar loan from the in- international monetary fund just to kind of keep their books balanced and get their payments made and he ran on a we're going to come up with some aggressive tax cut or you know uh, social uh, social spending cuts and move in that direction of raising some critical money through raising the export taxes. That was the initial thought. And it's kind of worked its way a little bit where nobody's quite sure what he's doing. He said he was going to raise the taxes from 12% to 15%, I believe on both corn and wheat. But all of this has to have congressional approval and his party is not in control of the Congress. So we don't know. Initially, when he won the election, there has been pressure on both corn, wheat, and to a a smaller extent, beans in this, simply because what they thought would happen, because he revalued the peso that uh, Argentina's farmers who have been holding this as an inflation hedge all of their crops for so long would just immediately run to the elevator, sell everything they could, get a better price than they could before the election or you know, back during harvest season last year. So that's still very much an unfinished business, but keep an eye on it because if it gets to be friendly for argentina's farmers they have a lot of stored grain that much like russia selling their wheat so cheaply because they had so much of it they could come on and have a short-term impact of flooding the you know the world export market with some cheap exports
0: right now yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on and then of course speaking of politics we've got our own stuff taking place here in the u.s uh, as we look into 23 wrapping
1: it up yeah we talked briefly about the department of energy usda and the irs uh, with the tax credits for the biofuel industry but as you really ramp up towards the 2024 election uh, you have to wonder what impact that may have on as we look to future farm bills and the the first thing i always look at is okay how's it going to impact the economy Well, if you go to the economy now, all we're talking about is last Thursday, I guess, or maybe Wednesday, Federal Reserve came out and said that they are now heading towards what potentially could be three rate cuts, interest rate cuts, in 2024. After nearly two years of raising rates at a record pace, if we start to trim those rates back, what happens in the world economy, the biggest thing is that the U.S. dollar, which went from... Uh, an all-time high as they were aggressively raising rates, we've already had about a 12% pullback in that, back to what we would call kind of a high-end normal, right around 100. And for us to become even more competitive in the world export market, if the U.S. dollar keeps falling, then our cost of our goods is cheaper because the dollar is lower and let's say the peso goes up against it or you know pick any of the country or the one or china's currency whoever that we're dealing with so that really uh and all of that is intertwined because it's all happening in washington but when you look at it i think if you look at the big uh landscape of 24 uh, watch what the U.S. dollar does, and if it continues to weaken, uh, our exports should get a positive boost out of should that.
0: Should boost them up, yeah. Well, let's go, let's move quickly move into world finances, then I want to circle back on a couple other commodities as we wrap up 23, then we'll dive into 24. Let's talk about that rate increase you were just touching on. Uh, you know, is that rate, uh, you know, increase ending uh, with the rate decrease expected in 24? Where are we going to land here? What does this mean for the US dollar? Uh, you referenced, you know, being more competitive with our exports. Jody, what's your thoughts there?
1: Well, it, I, I think we can still kind of go back to, I wouldn't say end of COVID numbers, because that was just a total world uh, panic. Nobody knew. Anything mm-hmm. that was gonna about to happen or going to happen, but just get into a normal rate where a normal U.S. economy, where inflation rate is two percent, that's growing, and we have what you would call, you know, historically average interest rates of somewhere between five and six and a half percent, somewhere sure. in that ballpark, instead of the eight that right. we saw for, uh, you know, much of the last three or four months. But we get to a spot where. The interest expense will start to come off of the, the bottom line of everybody's operating budget, yep. which will be a great thing. And th- when you're paying lower interest, you know that whoever you're doing business with is paying lower interest. So the hope in this is that we start to see a little bit of almost deflation, it's starting with the interest rates. Because if you look at across the other sectors, and I'm sure some of your other speakers have spoken to this, that... Inputs for the most part are really flat to last year. Yep. Very. and so if you know, if you look at the big picture while the prices aren't quite as good, if you know, you know, where you can trim, we know that diesel is cheaper, significantly cheaper right now. Interest rates should be lower next year. You've got a, a good landscape right here for I think new crop corn. Let's see. Yeah, it's trade December twenty four corn's trading at five ten. November beans at 1275 So that puts you in a position where you can start doing your math and get your prepay sheets and, you know, really make a difference as you're squaring up your books and getting your tax bill right in these, you know, last
0: few days of the year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, as we take a look at, you know, the whole world uh, recession type of situation, and you step back and take a look at even the U.S. economy. I heard a report the other day that talked about, uh, you know, just – just our debt just to service our debts right now the interest alone is 10% of our total budget that's a big number
1: 33 trillion is it's it's just an incomprehensible number when you it just in the big picture of what you know you and I talk about you know, Yeah. gosh here's what I got to pay for a car and I got to finance it and then you look at what uh, you know uh, our government has spent, and however you fall on either side of this, yeah. on what we're spending it on, but just the fact that you know if, uh, they're paying what five, uh, probably five percent on treasuries, five percent of thirty-three trillion, I think that's one point six five trillion dollars a year just in interest to service it. To service that, so that is, gosh, a uh, hundred over a hundred billion a month. In interest cost. A hundred billion a month.
0: <laughs> and, and, you know, some of the numbers that we're throwing around too, I mean, when you put that in perspective, uh, just the interest rate, just the interest compared to our entire defense budget, it's not even remotely close.
1: Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you know, and you hope, like I said, we're, got, we're going into an election cycle, and but I, I think, unfortunately, both parties have kind of lost their fiscal center for a lot of different things, because yeah. I know it, now every all the money that's being sent to the Middle East, which we just talked about, is being hotly contested. Of hey, can't we make you know our borders safer? Can't we do more with that money in the U.S.? Let's start looking internally rather than trying to save the world. So that's going to be it, it. It I expect that to be a really hot topic in all of these races in the next, I guess, just 11 months now.
0: It's definitely going to be a a crazy 24 from uh, the election standpoint. Jody, before we move on to talk about 24, let's chat a little bit more about uh, some of the commodities that we kind of skipped over. Let's go back to wheat. You know, let's talk a little bit about wheat and what's happening in that market area.
1: The best thing that's happening in wheat right now is that the world is running tight. The stocks are contracting. Russia's import embargo uh, until May 1st certainly has helped. And as the US dollar has fallen, China's crop and their needs have ramped up. So China has bought a significant amount of wheat just in the last three weeks that nobody really saw coming. It, it's not a, se- a normally seasonal for them to buy at this t- time of year. But when you start talking about all of the increased freight costs around the world right. and the Yemen thing, you, don't, you think that as being a regional thing over there, but all of a sudden those ships are out of commission. They were right. going to go somewhere and turn around and yeah. go with something back. So <laughs> as you start taking shipping vessels out of the fleet and you have the logistics problems that we have around the world – the U.S. is going to be in a very interesting and highly competitive position if this continues for a while with China, and we have to have China to get our books balanced back more where we want them to be on our exports.
0: And finally, let's wrap up with cotton a little bit. Uh, uh, talk to us about the cotton market.
1: Well, which wish we had some good news here, but this goes directly to China. China simply is not buying what they have in the past. They don't need it because their economy has been in a recession since they put you know, those really harsh uh, lockdown COVID restrictions on and were so slow to pull out of them and open the economy back up. This time last year, they were starting to make changes, and we were hopeful that their economy would rebound sooner than later. And while it's better than it was a year ago, it's still not nearly where they want it to be. But they announced Last week that they will have a huge stimulus package that they're working on now that they will talk about at the first of the year. So you kind of have to balance everything out that we can talk about everything. But if China comes in in one big swoop, invest a trillion dollars into an economic stimulus plan, then all of a sudden these exports start to keep ticking like they're going Uh, you know we could we could turn friendly very quickly on several different markets and wheat would be of all of them that I'm looking at probably has the most bullish outlook because we we planted less winter wheat acreage this year uh, and they'll probably be less next spring the way uh, every way the economics are working right now so uh, you know I I like what we see in wheat but uh, I would and Corn needs wheat to rally right. because corn needs all the help it can get.
0: Good deal. Well, Jody, that's really good insight as we recap 23 and you know, kind of take a good look at really what's taking place in the market today. Let's transition now to your three tips for 24. What are three tips, Jody, that, well, could make producers more successful? What's tip number one?
1: The first one always is to know what your break even is. And right now while you're dealing with what are the things that were worked really well in twenty twenty three, what can I improve on or what can I repeat in twenty twenty four? You've got all the discounts available because the we're in the heart of prepay season right now. You have an opportunity to book some of your expenses on the low end of historical or you know past five years at least when you start sure. talking about diesel. Interest rates should be going down. Get together the very best. Break even cost analysis that you can make. And I always warn my uh, everybody I talk to don't get into the habit of sitting there talking to all of your buddies uh, at the coffee shop and sure. hear, oh, my neighbor Joe said his cost to break even on corn was $4.30. You know, I, well, I'm a better farmer than he is, and right. I'm smarter and I'm better looking than he is, so mine's got to be, you know, 410. You have to know that number because if you're making an assumption, you don't know if 450 is a good price for corn or if $5 is the right price for corn. Yep. You have to know that number. And in that, be as brutally honest as you can be. Pay yourself for your time if you had to hire somebody, because sadly, as we have an aging population in this, more and more I get calls from farmers, well, sure. it fell off and I broke my ankle. My right. brother broke his ankle, so I had to bring in more labor. Things like that, that you know, the wild cards that everybody never plans for but always happen yep so and you know pay for pay for your ground even if you've owned it and you've owned it for years even if you're in a position and God bless you if you are totally debt free operating out of your checkbook. Pay yourself for everything what it's worth so you know what your true cost of production is. Then from there, you can develop a very easy break-even plan because if your number is 450 or 475 where we sit, and we're just talking about corn in this example, at 510 December futures, you take a normal basis off that. And think, gosh, you know, I'm making X, or I'm going. When I get to this number, I need to sell a lot to make sure I'm at least breaking even. You know, on some, uh, you know, generous costs, and that that's the only way you can have any real peace of mind. Because if you're just guessing at this, what your 24 is, you're really, really doing yourself, you know, your family, your partners, a disservice because you're just kind of stabbing in the air hoping that everything works out.
0: This is an area that producers really do need to take the time to sit down with their financial planners, to sit down with everybody on the team to understand their true break even costs because, you know, interest. Interest is a whole area that for some producers, that younger producers, that may not even be on their radar compared to, you know, a couple of years ago. It, now it's a big factor.
1: Right. The, the example that I used all last year's meeting season was interest rates basically doubled. They went from four percent to eight percent. Right. And when you start talking about any average size farm, any you know normal size, not hobby farm, is going to have a million dollars probably line of credit sure. over the course of the year with everything. Four percent on a million dollars you know, is forty thousand dollars. Yeah. And all of a sudden you go, gosh, that's you know, that's three thousand, you know, thirty two fifty a month just in extra interest cost. Interest. Yeah, just in interest. So it's things like that. And the argument that I make about that is if you have a bin full of corn, even if you don't like the price right now, or beans or wheat, whatever that is. Don't let, don't be fooled into, well, I've got these bins, I have to use them, or I'm not paying anybody any storage costs. You're paying the bank that for right. $3,500 a month in storage costs because you're not using that cash that's available to pay off that note and that's just the yep. extra 4%. We're not talking about the whole 8%, you know, you double it at right. that point. Yeah. So, it you know, it's those little things that you just have to pay attention because farming is so expensive from the very beginning of it to the very end of it. All costs have gone up. One thing, you know, one question that everybody uh, I always get: When's the cost of land going to go down? When it's go- or when's it going to at least plateau? As long as productivity on your acre keeps going up, which obviously it does year after year, the USDA raises right. those trend lines. The cost of ground's not going down.
0: Yeah, no, that's it's uh, definitely not going that direction anytime soon, as, as it appears for sure, because we're not making a whole lot of ground, are we? No, yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. not. Yeah. So, okay, that's a great, great tip number one, manage your inputs and really understand your break-even point. That's very, very critical. Take the time to dig into that. Tip number two, Jody, what's your tip number two for 24?
1: Just minding your expenses because right now you're in such a good spot. We talked about it in the first example a little bit, but you're getting all of the prepaid discounts. Uh, Diesel, you're getting it about, 45 to $0.50 cents a gallon cheaper than you were getting it at this time last year and all of the things that you can calculate by paying for them early and whether it's emptying your bins so that you have the cash to do it, figure out exactly what every expense is because storage costs and interest costs are the silent killers in so many budgets that I see that you everybody has to think right now where everything is, okay, is this the best use for my money? Because even if I just go to the bank and, you know, the example earlier, somebody's just operating out of their back pocket, even if you have a, a million dollars worth of corn that's going up and down in value or, a, a, you know, a million bushel of corn that's going up and down in value sure. every day, you could take that cash and put it in the bank, get 5%, not have to worry about a thing.
0: Just, just flat out five percent right now. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that, and there's a there's a lot of opportunities in there at this point. Okay, so expense management, really knowing where your dollars are at, knowing what your inputs are really costing you, and and really probably taking advantage of a lot of the opportunities you mentioned earlier, prepay, and there's a lot of financing programs out there right now that you know they're worth talking to your Helen representative to learn more if they fit you or not. Talking with your banker, you need to be having some pretty serious conversations here early into 2024. Absolutely. Okay, uh, final tip. Tip number three for 2024. Jody, is what?
1: Well, once you get number one, you know you break even. Once you get you know number two is part of number one, you've got everything tied up. You, you're moving forward. Okay, I know what my break even is. And what you have to do is don't be afraid to sell rallies because we went back this year and looked at Just the sheer volatility just in the corn market, not to mention in the bean market was even worse. But selling those rallies, when you get to profitable levels, and everybody will know it if they take care of one and two, then you'll be able to say, I've got no problem selling 15% of my corn here because I know I'm making money. Even if my yield is trimmed, let's go back and I want to fight against that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hate to do it because I just don't know how big my crop is. Right? You look at what we have had. Since 2012, and, you yeah, know, we're getting so old now I can't even say within the last decade I've got to go past that. There you go. But even in 2012, the trend line yield, I think, was 170. The worst drought since the Dust Bowl yield was 125. So it was basically off a third. That's right. basically – just call it 60% of the crop yeah. was produced. And when you look at what happened this year, well, I know there was some inconsistency of weather, There was a whole lot of corn. There was an opportunity in August to sell 625 December futures, whatever the basis for fall delivery would have been. There were ample opportunities to sell corn well over $6 all year. And I hope people took advantage of it. But that's why you have to sell when that little guy in the back of your brain or your wife's not hitting you over the head with a stick telling you to sell it. Sell it when you're making money because my my guess is unless you oversell a crop by 110% there will be very very few years where selling especially up to your insurance coverage if you're buying revenue based insurance coverage and you even if you buy the minimum you buy that 70 or 75% sell up to those levels because you are guaranteed that you know, if you have a really, really bad year, which we've not, you know, we a lot of people tell me we're due for it, but I just don't think the genetics are ever going to let us have a complete catastrophic right, loss, right. that you have to be willing to sell. And even when it, it, the best time to sell is when you're uncomfortable about doing it. And that has been an axiom that's been in this
0: industry forever. Yeah, you know, traditionally, growers are extremely conservative, and, and that's good. But, boy, you've got to take a look at some of these opportunities, especially, as you mentioned, we've got price protection through a lot of insurance programs out there, crop insurance, so forth, take advantage of some of those things. And you mentioned it. Look at the drought. That, that's the biggest concern a lot of folks have is, you know, uh, moisture and, and can I grow a crop? But the Dust Bowl, I mean, we've had one year where in what, almost 100 years. Yeah. It was 90, a- 90 years or so. Yeah that's pretty good odds. I'd take those Vegas
1: <laughs> yeah. every day. Yeah, 1%. Yeah. There, there's a 99% chance that if you sell rally, profitable rallies that you're not going to oversell your crop. That, right. That's basically, yeah, yeah that, working the math that way, and it, people have to it, come to a conclusion that, it's that that's a tough the only way to It's a tough
0: concept to get your head wrapped around. I totally get it. And and you're not saying go sell the whole farm. Oh, no. 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 You're saying manage it. Manage, manage it, it. Be it. Be appropriate and uh, take advantage of those big swings. Yeah,
1: because it, the, the big swings occur. All the stuff that we talked about in 23, it, it, there's so many unknowns. Uh, you know, it, it, and I always love I'll get the comment, well, I don't expect anything to happen this year.
0: <laughs> right. We, we, we didn't expect Ukraine war to continue on. We didn't expect, uh, things like, uh, COVID. Uh, COVID. Yeah. We, we didn't expect, uh, well, for goodness sakes, you know, unfortunately this war in, uh, Israel and the Red Sea. Can close. We didn't expect that in 22 when we had this conversation. Right, And here we are definitely point number three, uh, don't be afraid to uh, take advantage of those rallies. Jody, I want to thank you for joining us here for this special end-of-the-year episode on the FieldLink podcast. And as we take a look at your top three tips for 2024 for growers across the country.
1: Well, thank you, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be here. It's good to be back face-to-face and uh, hope everybody has a great uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and look forward to seeing everybody on the trail this winter.
0: Thanks again, Jody, for joining us here on this episode of FieldLink. Thanks for joining us for this special episode of Field Link.